informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, hello, happy holidays. Thanks for joining us here on AOA today as we are uh, going to be joined today by a few different great guests here as we take a look at what is happening, not only in the markets, but weather and other issues impacting agriculture. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Appreciate you making us part of your daily conversation here today as that calendar races towards the Christmas holiday and the new year. Coming up in a second, we're going to talk markets with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Also in segment two, we'll get an update on the weather. I know a lot of folks are keeping an eye on South America and Brazil in particular. John Baranek, DTN Meteorologist, will be joining us. In segment three, we got a lot of news late last week uh, for the biofuels, biodiesel, ethanol industries, including the U.S. Treasury Department adopting the GREET model as far as figuring out sustainable aviation fuel tax credits and more. Kurt Kovarek with Clean Fuels Alliance America will join us coming up at segment three to have a conversation about that and more. And then I'll take a look at some news headlines to wrap up the show today. So a lot to get to here on AOA. Let's start things off, though, and take a look at what is going on or what is not going on in the market <laughs> trade. Darren Newsom, Senior Market <laughs> Analyst at Bar Chart, joining us here. Darren, thanks for being on the show again with us this week. And uh, I was joking with you off the air. I use this term quite a bit this time of year, holiday malaise. That's yeah. kind of what it feels like in this market trade right now. It is. It's a seasonal thing. We just, you know, we, we come into every morning session and, you know, corn might have six to 7,000 contracts traded overnight looking at the March issue. You know, when we get towards the end of the day, generally speaking, total volume is pretty low. Uh, there, there's just, you know, you'll, you, you'll be visiting with John, you'll be visiting with John here in a little bit. Uh, and it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say, but, you know, about South American weather, but for the most part, we just can't seem to get, you know, we can't seem to get the funds interested in anything at this point. And so, you know, the end result is things just drift around. Yeah. Funds. I know you've been watching that CFTC data mm -hmm. pretty closely here, Darren. And it, to your point, they just, they don't really want to do anything, which I, I, it's not unexpected. I mean, you know, it's that time of year. I think a lot of fund traders and a lot of folks in general, they, you know, when that calendar hit, December 15th, a lot of folks just kind of pack it in then and say, all right, I'm out of this market until the calendar turns to January. And, and that's that's right. To, you know, for the most part, that's right. But what we've got, we've got a little different nuance to 2023. And that is the Dow Jones going to a new all-time high. We've got uh, S&P and the NASDAQ within just fractions uh, of their all-time highs. They've gone to new uh, 2023 highs. And so one of the things that's interesting to watch, and, and again, I look at the legacy futures only, CFTC commitments, treasury reports, and what we can see is – you know, even let's take soybeans, you know, they are they're you know liquidating their their long futures position, their net long futures position. But it's coming from they're, they're getting out of everything. They're getting out of longs they're getting out of shorts in the corn. They're, they're covering some of their short position. But again, it's not, you know, all this new buying coming in. They're also getting out of some some long positions and short positions. So the bottom line is they're getting out of everything. They're not interested in commodities at this point. The money is moving back to equities. Now, you know, a lot of this could have to do uh, with the hawkish tone, the perceived hawkish tone of the Fed at the end of its December meeting, uh, where, you know, Chairman Powell had mentioned something like 75 basis points or a possibility being cut uh, in 2024. No timeline. Uh, and, and it just seemed, you know, the, the, everyone just seemed to run with that. You know, we can add that to, you know, funds of you know, the the, uh, the indexes, the stock indexes have been in long term uptrend since October 2022. And they're just now, you know, really building momentum and they're pulling money away from commodities. And the last part of it is fundamentally there is no commodity that just jumps out at me and says, look, you know, its fundamentals are still incredibly bullish and, you know, the funds need to be buying this. Those just aren't as those just aren't as obvious as they've been over the last few years. They're not as numerous as they've been over the last few years. I would have to think, Darren, that this time frame, the next two weeks here ahead of the Christmas and New Year's holidays, uh, for a lot of uh, farmers and ranchers as they look at this market, it, sit down, take a take a pencil or a pen to their marketing plan. But 
you know, don't get complacent, I guess I would say, mm -hmm. in, in this market environment, because with some of that low volume, I know that it can lead to volatility if we get some sort of news headline here over the next couple of weeks. You're absolutely right. I mean, low volume can lead to higher volatility. And if you just get a few orders coming in, and all of a sudden you've got things jumping around. I mean, let's let's look at Chicago wheat. That's a great example. Uh, but yeah, this is a time to really sit back, look at seasonal patterns. They're not the end all be all, but they do indicate, okay, this could be towards the low end of our seasonal cycle you know, again, with nothing going on. And if markets tend to move up, you don't want to be making moves down here. You know, you might, yeah, you, you can adjust your position. You can do this and that and all sorts of things, but you may not want to, you know, just go all in at this point uh, because there is a lot that, that can happen. You know, we're going to close out this year and we're going to start the next year and then we're going to bring about all that might mean. So, you know, we can look at our seasonal studies. We can certainly look at, you know, the, the underlying fundamentals of these markets with basis and future spreads, see if they provide us any opportunity and then not really worry about it too much here for the last couple of weeks of December, maybe even the first week to two weeks of January. And then things should get rolling again. And I know as well, there's still a fair amount of carry in some of these markets. That's something that I think folks need to keep an eye on as well here to your point of maybe, you know, there might be a, a spot here to take advantage of an opportunity mm -hmm. potentially, Darren. Right. You know, if, if I'm a merchandiser sitting out there or if I've got grain hedged from 2023 harvest, particularly in corn, and I'm looking at what happened with the D-Smart spread and now you know, I'm not holding my hedges in the March and, you know, looking to roll it out to May. We also need to be watching that May, July. Uh, it closed... Uh, it closed it's it closed last friday at a nine and a half cent carry and its lifetime low is nine and three quarter cents carry so it looks like it's trying to to break through and possibly go lower what's this tell us there's plenty of corn uh there's plenty of corn right now there's, it's not an overly bearish situation because demand is picked up but there's plenty of supply to continue to meet that demand it keeps everything neutral so if i'm sitting here holding you know march uh, short marches or short mays uh, we may have an opportunity to roll those out to July and see if basis wants to continue to appreciate uh, over time, over the next few months. Darren, cattle market, especially feeders, leading the way to start the week on Monday as uh, it feels like a lot of traders attacking things with a little bit of vigor here. Although uh, we do have a cattle on feed report coming up on Friday. I know that'll be a talking point in this market later in the week, Darren. Yeah, just think of the timing of that. Cattle on feed coming out after the close on, on Friday. You have the holiday, uh, no markets on Monday. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're back at it in very low volume. A lot of people aren't there on Tuesday. So, you know, in, in, in the feeder cattle, what we're seeing, you know, there's still funds are still net short or they were still net short that position, uh, that contract as of uh, the end of last Tuesday. You know, the, the non-commercial position was still in net short. So there's still some covering. But what we've also seen in both cattle markets, live and feeders, is that we've seen some commercial interest starting to come back into the market as well. This makes sense given the degree of the sell-off, particularly in feeders. They just got hammered. Uh, and so now we're starting to see the commercial uh, traders saying, hey, this looks like a pretty good value. Uh, and so they're, they're stepping in, funds are covering shorts. And with really nothing on top of it, all of the selling gone, you know, again, it's one of those markets where lower volume uh, can certainly lead to higher volatility. Well, Darren, we'll wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you and your family. Thanks, as always, for joining us on AOA, and we will talk to you in January. Thanks so much. Well, the same to you, Jesse, and thanks so much for having me on again. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst there at Bar Chart. All right, coming up next, we will take a look at weather with DTN's John Baranek. That's all the way next here on AOA. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.
Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, I think some folks across the U.S. have been wondering if we're actually in December. Temperatures have been fairly mild uh, for this time of year in uh, various locations. We haven't seen a whole lot of snow. I know not everyone's been in that boat some folks have seen uh, a little bit of that white stuff out there but uh, you know it's been a, it's been an interesting month of december so far how are things shaping up as we head towards the christmas holiday what do things look like in brazil and argentina that's a big question as well joining us now for that conversation dtn meteorologist john baranek john thanks for being with us hope you had a great weekend and uh, like i was saying it's been quite an interesting couple of weeks i know we've talked about it fairly mild temperatures for a lot of folks across the U.S., John. Yeah, I mean, it's going kind of how we'd expect to during El Nino, Jesse. And, uh, you know, we there hasn't been a whole lot of cold anywhere, at least not any significant cold and not for any significant period of time. Uh, we do have a little bit of cooler air working through the upper Midwest here today, and then uh, it'll be moving down into the southeast um, for tomorrow and, and, and for a day or two down there. But you know, for the most part, I mean, it's, it's we haven't tapped into that cold Arctic air yet this month, and it doesn't look like that's going to be in the, in the cards. Um, so at least that's good. But it doesn't mean we don't have stuff going on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had this system across the East Coast over the weekend that just dumped a whole heck of a lot of rainfall there. Uh, it's still continuing up in the Northeast today. And the cooler air that's moving in behind it is producing a little bit of snow uh, across the Eastern Midwest and uh, mostly in terms of lake effect snow. So um, that's going to be an issue, but there's, you know, there's a little bit of snow in some other spots as well, but you know, overall, not too bad um, considering, you know, it's December and we should be expecting kind of some poor conditions in, in spots at some point, but it doesn't really look to be happening too much. Well, and that's a good point you bring up is that, uh, you know, we watch a fairly benign weather forecast here for many folks the last couple of weeks and, you know, looking that way this week. But then I know some folks are sitting back saying, okay, well, when's the other shoe going to drop and when's it going to be two feet of snow across parts of the upper Midwest <laughs> and 20 below? Uh, what are you seeing in the forecast here for this week as we head towards Christmas? Uh, and then getting into Christmas, are we seeing anything in front of us that we have to be concerned about in that regard, John? Not in terms of the cold, thank goodness. Um, you know, cold this time of year really means 
something different for where, depending on where you are, if you're in North Dakota or if you're in, in Tennessee, it, it means something different to you. Uh, but you know, we don't have any real significant cold air coming up. Um, which is a good thing. I think for a lot of folks, I don't think anybody really likes the cold. Um, but there is something interesting and it happens to come in right around the Christmas holiday. Uh, we do have this upper level low off the coast of California that will be meandering into the Southeast here for this weekend. And it's going to produce a, a couple little bursts of energy into the middle of the country. The first one comes late this week. It looks like just showers, uh, rain showers, doesn't look too, too concerning, but when it, the, the low itself finally crosses the Rockies and gets into uh, the Southern Plains, Central Southern Plains here for Sunday, which is Christmas Eve or, and or Monday. Um, there's, there's some funny things going on here. There's not just that low, but there could be another little disturbance moving through uh, the Northern Rockies at the same time. If they happen to coincide at the same time, they could wrap itself up into a, a pretty decent sized storm system for the middle of the country for Christmas day. Um, and uh, that's something we're, we're, definitely watching. Um, there's potential though, that these two little pieces of energy don't really interact with each other. And if they don't, it doesn't mean a whole lot, uh, other than some, some rain for some areas. So, um, either way, it looks like we've got something going on here for the Christmas holiday, uh, especially in the middle of the country, say between the Rockies and the Mississippi river, for sure. Um, that kind of moves off to the East there for earlier next week. So Monday, Tuesday timeframe kind of East of the Mississippi for the most part, but the models really do not have a very good handle on this at all. And they're really just trying to figure out, are these two pieces of energy going to interact? And if so, how? Mm -hmm. um, so we'll, we'll be watching that. But, you know, everything is basically on the table here. We could have some some significant accumulating snow. Um, if you de Depending on what model you, you like, I mean, that could be all the way down to the Texas panhandle. Uh, up through Ontario or, you know, just across Minnesota, you know, there, there's so many potential possibilities with this storm system. It's, it's kind of hard to, to discuss it uh, kind of a yeah. week in advance, but you know, there is some potential out there that it could be, you know, a little, little impactful here. If people are traveling around for the holidays. I'm going to sum that up and say, and you can you can agree with me, hopefully on this, uh, be on your toes the next couple of days, check those flights, check those travel forecasts and more as we as we start to firm this forecast up here as we head towards the uh, Christmas holiday this weekend. Just, just kind of stay on your toes, right, John? I would say so, especially if you're going to be anywhere between the Rockies and Mississippi River. I think that's kind of where we would find the, the greatest impact. It doesn't not doesn't mean it won't occur in other places as well. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you're making your way out uh, out west to see Grandma, uh, it might be a little little bit hectic for you. So yes, keep your eyes on that forecast. Okay, good deal, good deal. Let's talk South America. I know a lot of folks are watching Brazil pretty closely. It was uh, fairly hot over the weekend, not a lot of rain that was uh, in the forecast, but now we're looking at uh, some heavier rainfall potential to move in here this week, and sounds like it could last a while. What's the latest you're hearing in Brazil, John? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we had almost no rainfall observed there in kind of those central Brazil states that, you know, are heavily uh, soybean areas and, um, you know, temperatures there were near or over 100 degrees. So um, it was another stretch of really hot and dry weather there for about a week uh, that continues here today. But tomorrow or Wednesday, and I'll just kind of ramp it up a little bit tomorrow and then really bring it in on, on Wednesday um, is where we get widespread rainfall uh, for central Brazil again. And it looks like it's going to continue for the rest of the soybean season, honestly. Uh, models, you know, our short-term models have it in through the rest of the calendar year. Um, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to be dousing rain every single day, but, you know, widespread rainfall uh, continuing all the way through the end of December. And if you look at the longer range models, like they have been for a while now, have that rain basically continuing all the way through the month of January as well. So, um, everything's kind of shaping up better for those folks in, uh, central Brazil. We'll have to see how much damage actually happened though, because, you know, we had talked about it before, um, you know, they had some really hot and dry weather, uh, early on in their season. And there was all sorts of talk about replanting and, you know, damage and abandonment. Um, and then they had another hot and dry stretch here over the last week and that didn't help them out either. So, uh, well, we probably won't know, though, the, the specifics on that until harvest time, which is late January into February. So we've got some time to figure it out. But mm -hmm. um, there's going to be a lot of question marks until then. They're going to have they're going to have some decent weather, though, at least 
uh, for that there in central Brazil for the next uh, several weeks. Like I said, probably through the end of their soybean season. And I think the biggest thing is that as we get the calendar rolled over to 2024, it's going to be that big question about the safrina corn crop, I think, is getting soybeans harvested, assessing any of that damage that you alluded to, and then thinking about safrina planting. That's going to be probably what's on many folks' minds here as we roll the calendar to 2024, John. You're totally right, and it's too early, unfortunately, to kind of yeah. guess at how that's going to go. Um, if this rain does occur, like it's forecast in these models, um, you know, it's it actually sets them up in pretty decent shape. You know, if if it's raining too much, then they have issues with pulling out their soybeans and planting. Um, but that also means that they're building plenty of soil moisture, so it's kind of a double-edged sword for them yeah. uh, in that regard. Um, so, but you know, they they had some delayed plantings here for their soybeans if they run a little too far um, into February or even March with their planting for, for their corn, that puts them at a, a big risk too. So yes, mm -hmm. 2024 corn season has, has got a lot of question marks about it. And there's a lot of potential for disaster for their, for their corn season there. Um, and it's just something we're not going to know for, for several weeks yet. John, we have about a minute. Argentina, any notes for weather there as well? Man, it just looks really good in Argentina right now. I mean, they if anything, it's a little bit too wet in some areas, and they're still planting their corn and soybeans a bit. I think they have about, you know, 40% left to go or so uh, of their plantings. So they, they've got a bit left to plant, and some of it's coming at, at some some uh, some wet spots in there. But overall, Jesse, it, look, it looks really good in Argentina. Um, you know, they had some really limited crops last year, but, man, I think I think we, we, we turned that – quite quite a bit around uh th this year uh, and there's no hint that you know decent rainfall is going to continue here again through the end of the year and, and through january models are, are very consistent on keeping the good rain in there um again we might have to issue or have some issues with flooding but i think that's going to be kind of a low probability and, and low um coverage uh issue for them mm -hmm. i think more 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 likely they, they have some some really good really good uh, conditions there that, that just continue um, into 2024 and, and potentially uh, potentially continuing there for the, the entire season. Well, John, great thoughts. As always, we do appreciate you being on the show. Wish you and yours a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you coming up in 2024 as well. John, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. Merry Christmas to you. Have safe travels and everyone else as well. Hopefully that storm system doesn't bother you too much. Yeah, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that. John Baranek there, DTM Meteorologist, joining us on AOA. Up next, Kurt Kovarik with Clean Fuels Alliance America. Back with more AOA right after this. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Let's take a look at what's happening in the market trade here on AOA. Jesse Allen with you as we look at this market uh, action overall. Pretty quiet, already kind of entering into that holiday malaise here, even with Christmas a week away. We see corded soybeans trading uh, about a penny or so either side of unchanged. Really saw that through the overnight Globex session as well. Wheat is seeing a little bit of pressure still holding there down moderately. We'll call it 5 to about 10, 12 cents lower with Kansas City wheat leading the losses. Meantime, triple-digit strength to start the week in both live and feeder cattle features. That is a nice sight with feeders leading the way. Hogs are quietly mixed, though, here to start off the week right around unchanged with crude oil up a little over 2% in our Monday trade. 
Stock market pretty quiet as well. It's a pivotal week for soybeans in Brazil. A lot of traders are watching the weather forecast closely as it's looking like soaking rains will start in center west Brazil Tuesday or Wednesday of this week and could last through the end of the year. How does that play out for farmers in South America, mainly in Brazil? That is going to be a big question. Some models are showing a significant shift toward a wetter pattern, while others show continuation of the dryness, which could be a big problem for safrina corn. How does this weather pattern impact harvest of soybeans and planting of the safrina corn crop? That's going to be a big thing to watch as well. It doesn't really feel like it's going to add any risk premium to the corn or soybean markets, though, here in the short run. A lot of traders, again, are out of this market already ahead of the end of the year. And it could also, though, lend itself to some volatility in this trade with low volume. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Catalan feed report coming up on Friday. That could drive this cattle trade here as we go through the week as well. That is a storyline to keep an eye on. Overall, though, markets on Monday looking pretty quiet ahead of the Christmas holiday next week. You're listening to AOA. That's Checking the Markets. I'm Jesse Allen. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Great vision doesn't require great sight. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Make your impact today. Donate now at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, plenty of news on the ethanol renewable fuels front here as uh, we are working through the month of December. And uh, on Friday, we got some uh, rather big news out that the uh, Treasury Department is going to be adopting the GREAT model as one of their methodologies uh, for figuring out sustainable aviation fuel tax credits. We're going to talk about that and some other headlines here throughout the industry. Joining us for a conversation today on AOA, Vice President of Federal Affairs for Clean Fuels Alliance America, Kurt Kovark is with us. Kurt, it is great to catch up with you again. Uh, it's been a while, I think, since you've been on the show, so glad to have you here with us. Hope you're doing well. Absolutely. Glad to be with you. Well, let's start with this uh, updated guidance from the IRS, from the Treasury Department on sustainable aviation fuel tax credits using the GREET model. I know uh, a lot of folks throughout the industry uh, very happy applauding this news uh, coming out on Friday. Talk about it a little bit and put it into perspective for us and, and for our farmers and ranchers listening in here, Kurt. You bet. Well, uh, what this is, is is a partial victory, I guess. And and just to bring everybody up to date as to what we're uh, talking about and what came out, in August of 2022, con Congress enacted the Inflation Reduction Act, which provided a new tax incentive for sustainable aviation fuel. And as most folks know, uh, the federal government, through the Renewable Fuel Standard and other tax incentives, has supported uh, biodiesel and, and biofuels generally for many years. Uh, this was a bit of an expansion of that to, to build in a new incentive for sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, so the law was enacted way back in August of 2022, uh, and it took until Friday for this uh, proposal to finally come out from Treasury as to how they're going to implement it. As a, and as you rightly mentioned, that much of the debate and the effort and the, and the uh, controversy over this provision is what model are we going to use to score a, a aviation fuels uh, life cycle carbon emissions. And when it comes to biofuels, you know, we don't, we're not adding new carbon to the atmosphere. We're not pumping uh, long buried petroleum out of the ground because so we've got a full life cycle here. Uh, but there's a lot of controversy in terms of the, the, the one model that Congress 
directed them to use, and that was uh, what's called the ICAO model, International Civil Aviation Association, which is essentially a UN body uh, governed primarily by folks over in Europe who, who dictate to, to the rest of the world how they view crop-based biofuels. And one of the reasons we oppose the use of that model is because it's based more on political science than sound science to this extent. The penalty for what they call indirect land use change. So let's say we're, we're growing crops in the United States and, and some European uh, parliamentarian thinks that because we're doing that, uh, we've got we've to plant more crops in the, in the rainforest or what have you. They penalize our fuels for that to the extent where U.S. grown corn and soybeans would not qualify at all under that model. We know that that's not a good model. We've been advocating for that for many months. We've been advocating for... Uh, the own Department of Energy's Argonne National Laboratories GREET model that you mentioned, which we believe is a gold standard. And what came out today is a, an acknowledgement that the GREET model could and should be used, but it's not ready yet. So uh, their viewpoint is there's updates that need to be made to ensure that it meets the statutory requirement of a similar methodology, and that we'll see that updated uh, methodology by March 1st. So mm-hmm. we've got, you know, essentially 90 more days here where we have to make sure that the scientists at the Argonne National Laboratory win the day and not uh, political scientists, whether they're within the administration or environmental uh, NGOs who, who believe that, you know, crop-based biofuels are inherently bad for the planet. I'm glad you kind of hailed that uh, as a partial win because, as you mentioned, we got about 90 days here. We got to get all the the technical details worked out, so to speak, here. And I, I would think that as long as we can get some of these final details worked out by March 1st, this is uh, this is a big win for the biofuels industry, isn't it, Kurt? It, it absolutely could be. You know, as a, as a representative of the biomass-based diesel industry, our goal is to provide markets and expand markets for our fuel. And we see an, a, a huge drive towards decarbonization, whether that's driven by federal policy, state policies, uh, policies in, in corporate boardrooms. Everyone is, is pushing on industry to, to demonstrate carbon reduction. Our fuel happens to be a diesel distillate replacement. So think about how difficult it would be to electrify, which happens to be the you know, the preferred method of decarbonization here in Washington. But, you know, heavy-duty trucking, uh, rail transportation, cargo shipping, aviation, uh, on-farm equipment. Think about all of those uh, technologies today that have no other, you know, near-term solution to decarbonize in any significant way. The fact of the matter is you can take our fuel, which on average is 75% less carbon-emitting than petroleum diesel, and, and blend it anywhere from five. And some folks are going up to 100% uh, improving out that technology. So we're able to provide those uh, carbon reductions today. And that adds value to a, a soybean or canola farmer. It adds value for livestock producers whose uh, animal fats are being converted into biodiesel. It's great for the domestic uh, energy security of our country. And if, if you look at the the investment that's been made throughout the Midwest just here in the last couple of years and, and, and going forward a couple of years, 23 soy uh, crush facilities being built or expanded, mm-hmm. adding 700, uh, I mean, really significant quantities of new feedstock, adding value for certainly for soybean farmers as well. Great thoughts. And uh, we'll continue to watch to see if we can get uh, those uh, details, those technical details kind of figured out with this. Uh, but hopefully this can be a big win for the industry. I want to ask you about the uh, Ocean Going Vessels Act. This was uh, introduced by uh, Representatives Marionette Miller Meeks of Iowa and John Garamendi from California here uh, just a week or so ago. Uh, talk about what this could mean for uh, renewable fuel for Ocean Going Vessels Act, I should say. Uh, bipartisan legislation. Talk about what this could mean. Sure. So uh, under the renewable fuel standard, the, the law that was enacted in 2005 and expanded in 2007. Uh, defined which transportation fuels were eligible for uh, an obligated party to to generate credits to satisfy their obligation and, and prove out their volume uh, under the law. Um, one sector that was not included was ocean going. So our our goal here, because we have now demand uh, in ports, in harbors, 
uh, and cargo ships and cruise lines that are tra- traversing the, the oceans to decarbonize, uh, this acts, because it's not eligible uh, as a market under the renewable fuels uh, standard, it acts as a disincentive to selling that fuel in the market. There's a, there's a, there's a RIN attached, which is a, the credit that goes along with that gallon. If you can't use that RIN, if the fuel goes in ocean going, you're, you're losing out on an, a, a, a critical financial incentive to get the fuel there. So what this legislation would do, uh, appreciate the foresight of, of Representative Miller Meeks and, and Mr. Garamendi to essentially remove this red tape. All it does is says, hey, if you use a biofuel in an ocean going vessel, you should be just as eligible to use that fuel to, qual- uh, to meet your obligation on the RFS as if you put it in home heating oil, an airplane, or uh, you know, an 18-wheeler going down the road. So this is a 4 billion gallon market. Uh, we have a lot of interest, particularly in New York Harbor, uh, the Great Lakes, along the Gulf Coast. Everyone is looking for solutions to decarbonize and demonstrate to their customers they're removing carbon. And if you think about some of these uh, massive ships and the, and the uh, diesel engines they power, uh, you know, putting in a blend of 5, 10, 15, 20% goes a long way to helping them start to meet their their carbon reduction goals. Well, Kurt, I know uh, always looking for new markets uh, for biodiesel, biofuels in general, and I, I know Clean Fuels Alliance America, you guys just uh, hosted here this past week a, a Big Apple tour in New York City. Uh, talk about that tour and and what some of the folks who were on that learned about and, and, and more. Give us the rundown. Absolutely. Uh, every December, we take a group of uh, soy farmer leaders from, from uh, all of the states that uh, are members of uh, Clean Fuels. We head up to New York and we we showcase some of the markets that our fuel is entering where they may not even know it or understand it. So it's a great opportunity to see firsthand what their soybean oil is being converted to and it's how it's helping uh, our, one of the largest urban centers on the globe reduce their carbon emissions and, and become uh, more energy independent. One of the folks we, we heard from was the the fleet manager for New York City, who just told us that they announced last week that they're converting all of the city sanitation trucks, uh, fleet vehicles to 100% renewable, which is fantastic. A combination of renewable diesel, biodiesel, before the end of the year, they're going to be 100% uh, renewable. And they're extremely excited about that. We also met with folks in the New York Harbor who want to get as much biodiesel as they can um, for their tugboats, for their their larger vessels, for their... uh, their ferries. So there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of technical challenges that people want to, you know, be proven out, but there's a lot of enthusiasm for low carbon biofuels in New York city. Well, Kurt, great thoughts before we let you go. Anything else you want to mention or reiterate to folks uh, here today on AOA? No, you know, it's a, it's a great time in this industry. We've had more enthusiasm for uh, our product than we ever have from a whole range of, of sectors that's led to great opportunities in agriculture, particularly, you know, with soybean crush, we've got the, the largest crush we've ever had in the United States, largest uh, use of production of soybean oil for for animal fat or for uh, animal consumption, for pet food, and also for biofuels. And then uh, this this new market for uh, soybean meal, it's just, it's fantastic. It's great to see uh, the evolution of the industry and the opportunity that's being created uh, from, from low carbon policies and, and the desire just to, to reduce petroleum use and increase energy security. It's great, it's great all around. Well, great thoughts. Folks can learn more. Cleanfuels.org. We've been talking with the Vice President of Federal Affairs for Clean Fuels, Kurt Kavar. Kurt, thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Glad to be with you. Back with more on AOA right after this. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. Just a little heads up before something bad happens. Move your coffee cup away from your computer. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can have more control. Stop. You're texting your boss by mistake. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Warning. 
The cap is loose on that catch-up. Don't wait. You have the power to change the outcome. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey. <laughs> We're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. It was good to talk with Kurt Kovarik from Clean Fuels Alliance America here on the show in that last segment. Of course, we talked about the 
Good news for the sustainable aviation fuel industry that came out late last week. The U.S. Treasury Department's going to use a modified version of the GREET model as a measurement to determine reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. The agency will use the model as it allocates tax credits for sustainable aviation fuels under the Inflation Reduction Act. The National Corn Growers Association was pleased to hear the Treasury's decision as well. NCGA President Harold Woolley says, quote, given that GREET was created by the government and is widely respected for its ability to measure reductions in greenhouse gas emissions from the farm to the plane, we're encouraged by this. We're eager to help the aviation industry reduce its carbon footprint and look forward to helping ensure the final model helps achieve that goal, end quote. Now, GREET which stands for the Greenhouse Gases Regulated Emissions and Energy Use and Transportation, was developed by the U.S. Department of Energy to measure greenhouse emissions from the field to the car or plane. Well, the USDA reminds specialty crop growers that assistance is available for producers who incur eligible on-farm food safety program expenses. The expenses are part of the process for obtaining or renewing a food safety certification through the Food Safety Certification for Specialty Crops program. FSA Administrator Zach Ducino says, quote, the program is one of the many ways USDA helps support local and regional food systems and opportunities for small-scale producers. I'm encouraging all specialty crop growers to discover how this program can help mitigate the costs of on-farm food safety certification, meet regulatory requirements, and apply by the January deadline, end quote. Eligible operations must grow specialty crops, meet the definition of a small business, and have paid eligible expenses related to the 2023 certification. The application for 2023 closes on January 31st, and FSA will issue payments after the application period closes. For more information, growers should visit farmers.gov. Well, the USDA's December Livestock Outlook says higher cow slaughter and heavier-than-assumed carcass weights will offset lower fed cattle slaughter in the fourth quarter of 2023. That will leave the beef production forecast for 2023 unchanged. Expected heavier carcasses will carry over into early 2024, along with higher cow slaughter. Fourth quarter pork production was raised 25 million pounds to 7.09 billion pounds, 2.4% higher than during the same period last year. Hog prices are expected to average $54 per hundred weight for the quarter, 15% lower than the fourth quarter of 2022. Now, also, first quarter hog prices, they are lowered by a dollar per hundred weight to $56 as soft consumer pork demand is likely to persist, limiting hog price increases. Now, lamb and mutton imports forecast are lowered in the December report compared to the previous month. In poultry, projected broiler production is adjusted higher for the fourth quarter of 2023 based on strong production in October. While ag officials in several of America's top beef-producing states say federal officials didn't properly assess the risk of disease when deciding to allow beef imports from Paraguay to resume. USDA recently ended a 25-year prohibition on those imports. The prohibition was the result of Paraguay's difficulty in ridding itself of foot and mouth disease. A severe outbreak in the U.S. has the potential to cost more than $200 billion. Many beef industry groups and some lawmakers have opposed the move, saying the risk analysis was based on outdated information. Mike Nag, Iowa Secretary of Agriculture and officials from seven other states, wrote a letter to Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack to consider pausing the decision until a more reliable risk assessment can be completed based on modern visits to Paraguay. Ag officials from Missouri, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Texas, and Wyoming all signed the letter to Vilsack. Well, lingering high prices are expected to take a bigger toll on the economy in 2024. CoBank says the biggest problem for farm margins heading into 2024 is the elevated cost of production. While fertilizer prices have fallen, other production costs remain high. However, ag commodities will benefit from more upside price risk than down in 2024. Global grain and oilseed stock inventories are tight by historic measures, and the Northern Hemisphere will likely have a strong El Nino weather pattern during the growing season for the first time since 2015. The dollar will likely continue its recent decline, and global demand should return to a long-term growth trend. Also, the renewable diesel boom and the smaller U.S. soybean harvest of 2023 will drive an expansion of soybean acreage next year. Profitability for the livestock sector should modestly improve in 2024 as lower feed costs and domestic demand offset weak global exports.
Well, the Farm Credit Administration received a quarterly report on economic issues affecting agriculture and an update on the financial condition and performance of the farm credit system. Rising interest rates have negatively impacted many of the finance-heavy sectors, including commercial real estate, banking, and farming. While many agricultural inputs are considerably less costly than last year, profit margins for many farmers are tighter this year. Crop producers continue to see lower commodity prices, especially for corn and wheat, compared to a year ago. Further price risk stems from lower water levels and key waterways used to transport cash grains. Profit margins for some livestock and specialty crop producers are tighter due to weak commodity prices. The system reported solid financial results through the first nine months of 2023. System growth has slowed in 2023 against the backdrop of higher interest rates and tighter margins in a number of agricultural sectors. Well, the United Soybean Board engages in a number of infrastructure investments designed to keep U.S. soybean growers in a global leadership position while also benefiting transport of other commodities and agricultural inputs. USP Director and Maryland Farmer Belinda Burrier speaks to some of the latest projects. The dredging of the Lower Mississippi River and the amount of partnership that we have building this increasing the depth of the river actually increases the amount of production that we can send down to the river and out export and across the world. And the second one is Port of Grace Harbor terminal expansion in Washington state. These infrastructure investments by the checkoff in research, analysis, and design benefits soybean producers and other commodities too. I was at both of these ports this year and have seen the investments that we have done with our partners, and it has increased their expansion of direct routes to Southeast Asia and other ports across the entire Pacific Rim. So it's really a big plus for the farmers, especially in the Midwest. She says the investments have a big impact on U.S. soybean exports. They sure do, and it's increased the amount that we can ship by over 60% to other ports across the world, and that brings value back to the farm gate as far as it goes, and we can ship our product knowing that we have this support infrastructure-wise. And you can stay up to date with the latest from the United Soybean Board online at unitedsoybean.org. We're out of time here on AOA Today. Thanks for joining us. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have a conversation with the new chair of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Alex Peterson. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We work around it and we live around it every day. And we just become desensitized to what's around us. We go through safety training and, you know, we try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen, but you just never know. There are so many farmers that I think take for granted all of the underground utilities that are there. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. I mean, we kind to know what's out here, but all at the same time, you, you just always call. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Whether you're installing drain tile or doing any sort of digging, always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked and have the depth confirmed. That's farming with care. But if a line does get damaged, go somewhere safe and call 911. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six.